Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Well, today I want to continue uh, speaking to you about the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5. So if you'll go there in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, Last week I said I really wanted to get done, get out of Matthew chapter 5, but there was one, one series of five verses that I, that I skipped. And I don't, I don't know if anybody caught the fact that I skipped it or not, but uh, I did. I, uh, I uh, looked at uh, how the Jews last week were relaxing the commandments by looking at them in their own legalistic way. And as they were doing that, they lost completely lost the intention and the power that, that God intended there to be in, in the commandments and in the law. But today I want to look specifically at Matthew chapter 5 and verses 38 through 42. And it says here, you know, you, you've, you've heard the expression, turn the other cheek, right? Go the extra mile, right? This, this is what I'm going to cover today. You know, those have become such a, they're so ingrained in our culture. They're a part, we say that all the time. Oh, what you, what you going to do? Well, go the extra mile. What are you going to, I want to turn the other cheek. And, you know, they mean different things because sometimes when you take something like that out of its context, you can miss the real meaning of what was going on. But in its original context, Jesus was talking about how we relate to others, both in the church and in the world, is in terms of if somebody offends us, uh, how do we show, how do we get even? <laughs> how do we get even, right? Yeah. So today is I'm going to teach you how to get even. <laughs> Don't you want to know how to get even? (laughs) But anyway, let's read it here. Matthew chapter 5 and 38. It says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But, everybody say, but. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile... Go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So what's Jesus saying here? Is he saying that we're just supposed to pretty much be everyone's doormat, huh? (laughs) Whatever they want to take, just let them have it. If they hit you, just let them keep hitting you. Let them keep beating you up, right? Just lay down and let everybody push you around, right? So what he's saying, you think? Are we wrong if we fight for our rights or stand for the truth? Are we wrong if we stand up for one another? This is a good question because when you take something like this and you read it, come on, I want to follow the teaching of Jesus, do you? I want to be just like him. And I mean, I see Jesus at a time in his life. He laid down his life and he did not fight for himself. He let God do his work, right? I want to do that. I mean, I, God will get me where I need to be faster than I will get me where I need to be. So I do want to be like Jesus. But let's take a look at this and see what it says. Um, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Okay, where have they heard that said? Actually, it's all through the Old Testament, okay? And I've got in Leviticus chapter 24, verses 19 through 21, this is just one of the times that it's mentioned. And he says this, uh, Moses is giving them the law. And he says, if anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, shall it be done to him? Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. 
What you didn't know the Bible was this good, did you? <laughs> this is this is as, this is as bad as some of those movies out there with you know fracture for fracture, get even, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, but whoever kills a person shall be put to death. This is a serious, serious uh, commandment here, isn't it? And they knew it very well. But what you have to understand is the original purpose of this saying, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The original purpose is actually to keep personal revenge from running away with itself. It's to limit personal revenge. See, if you were injured by your neighbor, the neighbor would come and he'd pay the penalty and that would be that, it'd be over. You didn't have the right to start entering a feud with that family. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You didn't have a right to try to get one up on them now and do something worse for them. That's street justice. You know, they hurt me. I'm going to, I'm going to double down. I'm going to do it worse. You know what I'm saying? But this, the intention of the law was so that they could move forward and not have these long, you know, you have no right just because somebody hurt you to go and kill their dog, burn their crops or hurt their children for generations. You know, it's got to end. And so this commandment was for the purpose of ending retribution. They paid the penalty, worked out, moved forward. Better an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth than this escalating feud with each side trying to do one thing worse than the other is back and forth forever, right? You can see that. But see, Jesus comes along then and he offers a, a brand new kind of justice. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist one who is evil. How does that? I don't even know if I like that. Don't resist one who, what's he doing here though? He's bringing a restorative justice, a kind of justice that actually reflects the character and nature, the love and forgiveness that God gives us. Can you see that? When we can do that, we're being like God himself. Come on, if we as Christians go around exacting revenge for ourselves every single time we've wronged somebody, how does that reflect the forgiveness and mercy that God wants to show us? It's a good thing to think about, isn't it? Let's ponder on that for a minute. You know, we've all heard of street justice, right? Which is basically thug justice, right? You know, uh, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back, right? We have a thing now called uh, social justice, which is just basically thug justice and new wrappings. <laughs> it's, it, it's not about forgiveness and reconciliation. It's about getting back, getting even. And, and it's, not, it's, not even, it's not even supposed to cause us to move on together in reconciliation. It's supposed to keep us divided. It's supposed to keep us angry with each other. It's exactly what the original law was trying to avoid. You know, none of the ways that the world does justice comes anywhere close to how God does justice. And I'll be honest, I don't think Jesus is telling us here that we should never stand up for the truth or never stand for ourselves or just lay down and let people take advantage of us all the time. We're not supposed to be everybody's doormat. I mean, in the Bible, if you look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, there's actually a provision to go to your brother if you feel like you've been wronged. Do you remember that? What's it say? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone first. It's a three-step process. You first go to him privately. If he listens to you, praise God, you've gained your brother. Reconciliation, we can move on. But if he refuses, what do you do? Next verse. 
If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses, right? And go on, next, next point. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then, after these attempts at reconciliation, then let him be to you as an outsider, a Gentile, or a tax collector. So there's provisions to not allow people just to run over you and take advantage of you all the time. In the scripture, right? You remember Paul. I like Paul the apostle a lot. He's a cool guy. You know, he actually made an appeal to Caesar in order to keep the Jews from killing him. They had a plot. They were going to uh, uh, take him and kill him, stone him. That's how the Jews liked to kill people back then. And uh, when he found out about it, he made an appeal to Caesar. So, so he wasn't going to just lay down and take it, was he? In, in uh, Acts chapter 16, keep your, keep your finger there in, in uh, Matthew 5, or use that little ribbon. The little ribbon is the coolest thing. Put that little ribbon in Matthew chapter 5 and flip over to Acts chapter 16. And look at this story that uh, 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 this adventures in the life of the Apostle Paul. They're in this town called Philippi. And uh, it's, it's exciting when you look at the whole town. You want to read the whole, you start reading and you want to back up, back up, back up, back up, back up, and read everything going on. But basically, they, uh, they went to Philippi and they're preaching and, and uh, they get some people saved and, and they get this person uh, delivered from a demon, okay? And when they did, the, 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 they got mad and got them thrown in jail. <laughs> so now, Paul and, and uh, his buddy are in jail. And in verse 25, of, of 16, it talks about at midnight that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God as they're in jail. <laughs> Come on, in jail, singing and praising God in the middle of their circumstances. And basically, God sends this earthquake, busts all the chains open and the, and the doors open. And the jailer who's, who's accountable for these people thinks all the prisoners have escaped. When he wakes up, he's freaking out and he's ready to take his own life. Because better to take your own life than to die at the hands of your, your Roman commander. And uh, Paul says, no, we're all still here. He sends for the lights. They, he takes them home. They get saved. This awesome thing. And, and the prisoners did not leave. Paul and Silas did not leave because they were protecting the jailer's life. Isn't that amazing? It's a beautiful picture of forgiveness, isn't it? And so what's he do? I, I love this. When you go down to verse 35, the next day, the magistrate, magistrate sent the police saying, well, let those guys we arrested the other day, go ahead and let them go. And the jailer comes, he's excited. He reports these words to Paul. And he says, the magistrates have sent to let you go. So come out now and go in peace. And he's like, this is good news. And look at verse 37. But Paul said to them, hey, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? <laughs> no, let them come and escort us out themselves. <laughs> you got to love that. Come on. He's like, hey, Roman citizens in chains, beaten, in prison, without a trial. Sounds like a public apology to me. <laughs> and he got it. He got it. So I don't think Jesus is telling us just to lay down and, you know, just take everything all the time. But what he wants us to do is he wants us to have the heart and mind of God in our relationships with those who have offended us. That's what he wants. He wants us to have the right and proper attitude. 
And so in these five verses we're looking at today, you got to understand, they do not contain the rules for every situation, for every society, in every age, okay? But what they are, they're pictures, they're snapshots, they're, they're an illustration. Because Jesus is not bringing us a new kind of legalism, right? He's not trying to say, when they do this, you have to do this. When you do, What he's doing is he's talking about the work that he's doing in your heart. Can you truly love your enemy? He does. And so these four examples give us a glimpse of his heart and his thoughts as we seek justice. What kind of justice are we really thinking? But I tell you, they need to be thought out. They need to be prayed out. They need to be worked out in each and every situation. It's just not always automatic. So let's review. And then I just want to tell you a couple of things that, that I see happening when we practice this kind of justice. So verse 39, he says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So when we practice these four things, when we turn the other cheek, when we're willing to give our cloak, when, we're, when we go the extra mile, when we give freely to those in need, this is all illustri- illustrative. Is that a word? Illustrative? Yeah. Illustrates this new kind of justice. And so there are several things that I see happening here all at the same time. Number one, when you practice this kind of justice, the most important thing maybe is it sets you free from the control that they have over you. You are just immediately free from that. Think about it. Okay, back in Jesus' day, a slap on the cheek was probably a backhanded uh, an insult. What it was, it was more, more meant to insult you than even to harm you, right? And so you have two responses when you're insulted. You can return insult for insult, right? Or you can cower and you can go away. And you can harbor feelings of resentment and let that anger simmer inside of you. I mean, that's pretty much the two options that you have. But then Jesus comes along and he offers another option. He says, offer the other cheek. See, I'm standing here looking at you. I'm not cowering. I'm not hiding away. I'm not going to simmer anger toward you. Right? I'm not going to insult you back. What I'm going to do is I'm going to offer you my other cheek. Strike me again if you want to, but this time strike me as an equal. I'm free from the control that you have over me. Jesus wants us to be free people. And practicing this kind of justice where we go the extra mile, we can walk in freedom, freedom before God and freedom from the opinions of man. I mean, that's good, isn't it? You know, you ever uh, see people who they tell you, go and if you're afraid of something, go and face it? You know, face your fears so that you can overcome them. I did an internship in New York and they had a whole thing. They were like, face your fears, face your fears. And one of the things they did was they took us on this really cool ropes course and all this stuff where we had to go and face our fears and, and, and do all this neat stuff. But even then, they put us up there in places where we were, we were uncomfortable and make us do things because they were wanting us to overcome our fears. In the same way, so like, what are you afraid of? You know, are you afraid of a lawsuit, losing everything? You know, here, take my coat too. I'm going to face this. You're not going to own me. I am not going to let the fear of losing everything allow you to control me anymore. It sets you free from the control that others have over you. 
face it head on and beat it, and you will be forever free of that control. That's number one. Number two, listen to this. It exaggerates the offense. It exaggerates the offense. It paints a picture, almost like a caricature. You know what a caricature is? Like a comic where somebody draws somebody. And what do they do? They find a feature of that person and they exaggerate it, right? A distinguishing mark. You know, maybe they have a, a, a crooked smile or something like that and they magnify it and they exaggerate it and they make a caricature. Doing this actually exaggerates, it, it exaggerates the offense. It shows the absurdity of the demand. And even it exposes the offender. See, by doing these things, you're wisely and carefully exposing them without playing their game or becoming one of them. Isn't that interesting? See, you strike my cheek. The first one was an insult. Second one is assault. <laughs> yeah? How far down this road do you want to go? Because this is what you're doing. You see that? That gives them an opportunity to relent. <laughs> And if they don't relent, well, you'll get another hit. But, <laughs> but it, it, you see how it exposes their heart, exposes their intentions. So why are you suing me? You want my tunic? Here, take my cloak as well. And you stand there and be embarrassed at the fact that you stripped me down to, to nothing. There, you have it all. Is that what you want? Are you happy? Come on, we've all argued that way, haven't you? <laughs> you want it? Here, take everything. <laughs> that's, that's what we're doing. Come on, I get it. The government, you know, it's corrupt. It's messed up, right? But do you think the government wasn't messed up back then? It was. It was. But think about this. You know, when uh, Mary and Joseph were on their way to Bethlehem, why did they even go? It was a government census. They had to go. And what did happen? They get Jesus in. They, Jesus is born in Bethlehem at exactly the right time, right? The the Roman capital punishment, the cross, right? How in the world would those? Uh, uh, prophecies, Psalm 22 and, and others in Zechariah, been fulfilled if the government, the Roman government, didn't play in to what God's plan was. Come on, God has the ability to work in spite of what the government does. He actually has the ability to even f make it work for his, <laughs> his end, you know what I mean? We can trust God even when things get stupid around us. But you be godly. Amen? You be godly. So it's your opportunity to display godly character. Number four, it makes room for God to work in the situation on your behalf. Okay? Doing, doing this kind of justice allows God to be able to work in your situation for your good. A couple, a couple of verses here I want to read to you. Um, it's the attitude that the Lord can bless. Let me say it like that. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 15. I want to read verses 7 through 10. If, if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within the land that your Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But, verse 8, you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. This is what Jesus is referring to here. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. And you say the seventh year, the year of release. That means when the seventh year came, you're supposed to forgive debts, right? The year of release. And so he's thinking, okay, I'm going to lend this, but <clears throat> the seventh year is coming close. So I don't really want to give him money because I'm going to lose it. I'm not going to, I don't want to lend him money because I won't be paid back, right? He says, 
that's an unworthy thought. Don't allow that thought in your heart. When your brother's sitting there with need now, he says, and don't let there be an unworthy thought in your heart and say the seventh year, the year of release is near and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing. Listen, and he cry out to the Lord against you and you'll be guilty of sin. Right? Didn't Jesus or uh, James, was it James who said, the one who knows what to do and doesn't do it to him it is sin? Yeah. There's sins of omission. There's sins of not doing what you knew to do. Listen to verse 10. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for, for this, somebody say for this, for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. See, being a giver, being generous, as he says in the, in the, last, the last thing there, it, it allows God to work in your life. It allows you to be blessed in everything you set your hand to do. Look at Exodus 22. Verse 26, if ever you take your neighbor's cloak in a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is, that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And listen to this part. And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. I will. So if somebody takes your cloak, man, don't you think God is going to hear when you cry to him? Is he not compassionate? See, you've got, you're connected, man. You're connected to God. Learn how to draw on that and you can learn how to treat people in a different way than how the world treats people. You don't have to get even because God meets your needs. Romans 12, 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, if possible, so long as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. When we take our own vengeance, it just shows that we do not trust God to do right. I don't have to take my own vengeance. There is a judge, and I'm not the judge. He's the judge. He'll hear my case, and he'll hear your case. He'll judge rightly between us. And even if somebody wronged you so bad that they deserve it, trust God. Trust God. Look at what Paul said in uh, 2 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 4.14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. <laughs> Paul wasn't out trying to get retribution, but he, he wasn't hesitant either, was he? Alexander the coppersmith, yeah, he hurt me. He hurt me, he hurt the ministry, but I'm not going to worry about it because I know that the Lord will pay him according to his deeds. Don't get, don't get entangled with that. Stand back and let him work it out with God, amen? <laughs> so it makes room for God to work in the situation on your behalf. Quick review. One, it sets you free from the control others have over you. Two, it exaggerates the offense. Three, it's an opportunity for you to display godly character. Four, it makes room for God to work in the situation on your behalf. And finally, number five, it just demonstrates who you really are in him. It demonstrates the fact that you are completely connected to him, that heaven supplies your needs. 
You know, if you're insulted or sued or pressed into service and you comply because there's nothing you can do about it because you're weak and there's nothing, there's no other alternatives for you, where's the honor in that, right? You're just being oppressed. Where's the virtue in that? Jesus is telling you, you don't have to just do it like this. There is a way out for you that you can take. When you're in a position of strength and you choose on purpose to go the extra mile, when you choose on purpose to turn the other cheek or give up your cloak, when you choose those things, it shows that you are in control, not the one who's offending you. You're in control. And when God sees you taking this option, he sees it as virtuous and honorable. The Bible calls that meekness. Meekness is not weakness, (laughs) right? Meekness takes great strength. Why? Because you could have reacted another way, right? You could have retaliated. You could have gone angry and held a grudge for the rest of your life against those Romans or whoever's in your life that's causing you this. You could have acted another way, but instead you chose this and that demonstrates your strength in God. Well, that's good. You chose the way of kindness. So I'll just tell you, I know some of you guys, because we've all experienced it. I think I can say this, probably all of you guys. You've been wronged by someone at some time. It happens. It's going to happen. Some of you have been bearing it grudgingly, (laughs) unforgivingly, harboring resentment and anger. Come on. If you're going to bear it anyway, let's try bearing it the way Jesus says. How about that? <clears throat> Wouldn't be a bad idea, would it? <clears throat> let this attitude that Jesus is teaching here, Jesus' retribution, let it be the attitude that actually breaks the power that that person has over you so that you can be free to love them and then you can be free to serve God. Because unforgiveness and anger, it ruins, it eats you up on the inside. And Jesus does not want you to be trapped in that. It will trap you for, I've met people who were trapped for decades of their life in that kind of anger. And Jesus is offering us a way to step out of it and be free. I can, I, because, because I'm connected to God, I can love you. I don't have to get even with you. I can go the extra mile. I could turn the other cheek. I can trust him because he's taking care of me and I can love you. Don't let that pressure of that oppression that you're in, that feeling of help, helplessness, you know, that comes with it. Don't let that overwhelm you because why? You're not helpless. You can give it to God. You can practice God's justice, a restorative justice, a justice moving forward. Amen. Does this help? It's a good word, isn't it? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that Jesus came to do. We thank you that when we read this kind of stuff and it's in the scriptures and it's in the Bible, we know it's for us. It's not something that's just this ideal out there that Jesus somehow did a long time ago 
but it applies to me because I am in Christ and your blood has covered me and cleansed me and forgiven me and made me a new person. You put your laws on my hearts. You put your spirit within me. And Lord, I can walk in this world the same way that Jesus did. Father God, I'd make a commitment to you right now. Just do this. Make this commitment. If, if there's something in your mind right now that God is bringing to your mind that isn't aligned with what I preached today, that's because God is bringing it up to you so that you can get rid of it once and for all, gone, goodbye. <laughs> it doesn't have to own you or control you anymore. So as we pray, I want you just to surrender that thing to him and make a commitment to go and bake a cake for that person. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking, maybe you don't bake, but do something nice. Bless your enemies. Bless them. Don't retaliate. Don't try to get even with them, but do something. Nice. They'll be so shocked they won't know what to do. <laughs> do the unexpected. It's a surprise attack. Works to your advantage. And pray for them. And trust God to deal with them in their life. Father, we just roll the cares of these things over onto you right now. Father God, that we might be free from offense, that we might be free from the control that the offense has over us. Lord, I commit it to you. I roll it over to you right now. Father, take it in Jesus' name. It's done. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Praise God. I believe, I believe we can be free of this stuff. Because God doesn't want, God wants us to be able to walk with him and run with him full speed and not have these kinds of encumbrances on us. The Bible says, cast aside the sin that so easily entangles us. It's, I mean, it's the little things you trip over. We got a walnut tree over there, right? I used to run, um, wake up in the morning before the sun would come up and go run down this path that had these walnut trees. I mean, they're only that big, but I'll tell you what, you hit one of those with all your weight, you know, it ends your running career for six weeks, right? It's the little things that trip us up and God wants us to be free, amen? So let's walk in the freedom that he's provided. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I hope that you guys can stay and um, uh, eat. And, and uh, anybody who wants to go get on that slip and slide, I don't know. Let me know because I would like to video it. <laughs> I'll have a viral video. but um, <laughs> No, I, I, we're, going to, uh, we're going to go eat. Uh, it's a youth event. The kids, then, then we invited the kids. Then we said, we're going to invite the kids. The parents have to stay. And, Let's just invite the whole church. So, all right, we like to eat in fellowship. So just downstairs in our fellowship hall, out back here. Um, let me go ahead and bless the food so that when it's ready, we can start eating and we'll have a time of fellowship together. Father, we just thank you for this uh, gathering. I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for the hearts of the people. <laughs> and what an what a awesome group of people. I'm just so honored and humbled and, and feel so privileged just to be serving serving this church, Lord. Just thank you for, for Emmanuel. Lord, I, I, I ask that you would bless our time of fellowship together. Keep us safe from injury, Lord, uh, on the equipment. And as the kids play, keep them safe. Father God, bless the food to our bodies. And Lord, let it just bless our time of fellowship together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.